My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Since many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning and ministers of the word have handed them down to us, I too have decided after investigating everything accurately anew to write it down in an orderly sequence for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may realize the certainty of the teachings that you have received. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news of him spread throughout the whole region. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had grown up, and went according to his custom into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read and was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Rolling up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue looked intently at him. He said to them, Today, This scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. It's rare that one specific event would have spiritual, political, and historic implications. But then again, St. Pope John Paul II was indeed a very rare, immensely Christ-centered, charismatic, and brilliant leader. The year was 1979, and Poland was still under the iron grip of the communists who had taken over their independent country and attached it to the Soviet bloc. John Paul II, a proud native son of Poland, had been elected the first non-Italian pope in centuries. Now, the official position of the socialist communists was that religion was the opium of the masses. Faith was irrelevant. It's unnecessary. All you need was the state and the government to take care of your needs, and your obligation as a citizen was to support those efforts. That had been the propaganda that had been forced upon the occupied and oppressed people from the 1940s. So when John Paul II, not long after being elected, wanted to visit his homeland to come and celebrate Mass with the people, the authorities faced a real conundrum. They didn't want it to happen, but if they forbid it, would that possibly rally the people Or even worse, would it concede that faith, something they considered false and ridiculous, actually had an impact in the real world? 
So they begrudgingly gave permission, but the propaganda campaign was going to do everything it could to diminish it, downplay it. Teachers were told to explain to the children that Pope John Paul II was an enemy. He was dangerous. He was a showman who tried to win people over with charm and humor. The Polish media were given strict instructions to censor and limit the Pope's comments and news of the appearances. On June 2, 1979, the Pope arrived in Poland, and the government was concerned that a large crowd would either greet him or attend the outdoor mass in the city of Warsaw. And despite their best efforts, their worst fears were realized when not hundreds Not thousands, not tens of thousands arrived, but well over a million people who crowded the streets and the highways and that massive city square. And the Pope got up and asked the crowds in his first homily in his homeland, why was a Polish man elected Pope? Noting the long history of suffering that the Polish people had endured and were continuing to experience, not the least of which these last 30 years that this atheistic regime was trying to rewire their hearts and minds to let go of their faith. So when John Paul explained that he believed he was elected Pope as a representative to the people to testify to the cross and resurrection of Jesus, and then asked if the people would accept their role and their responsibility as well, there wasn't polite applause or shouts of support, the crowd spontaneously thundered back in response, we want God. We want God. And John Paul continued, man was the greatest of works of God, and Christ redeemed man. Therefore, he declared, Christ cannot be kept out of the history of man in any part of the globe, in any longitude or latitude. The exclusion of Christ from the history of man is an act against man. Without Christ, it's impossible to understand our history. And once again, the crowd roared, we want God. As the week-long visit continued, and the media continued to ignore the visit, the authorities hoped that all these crazy Catholics had gotten it out of their system, they would be bored by now and would move on with all this news. So they were shocked when at the final outdoor mass eclipsed everything that had taken, up, taken place up to that point. Over three million people, many coming hours and days in advance to make sure they got their space, showed up for the final mass. And there, Pope John Paul II said, is it possible to dismiss Christ and everything which he brought into the annals of the human being? Of course it's possible. The human being is free. The human being can say to God, no. The human being can say to Christ, no. But the critical question is, should he? And in the name of what should he? With what argument, what reasoning, what Value held by the will of the heart, does one bring oneself, one's loved ones, one's countrymen and nation to reject, to say no to him whom we have all lived? He who formed the basis of our identity and has himself remained its basis ever since. 
The people heard Pope John Paul II remind them of their true identity, reclaiming them and their country for Jesus Christ. And John Paul's biographer, George Weigel, put it this way. Poland was not a communist country. Poland was a Catholic nation saddled with a communist state. And the lie was exposed for all to see. Because when those three million people went home that night and tuned into their state-run TV to see pictures of the immense crowd and coverage of this amazing event where the Spirit of God could be heard speaking through one of their own native sons who was now Pope, but they saw mere seconds of heavily doctored coverage that didn't even acknowledge the truth. That was the beginning of the end. One historian wrote of it, the people who had been at the Mass could compare the reality that they had witnessed with their own eye with the propaganda that their media reported, and they could see the discrepancy. And this left the people of Poland able to say at once and together, definitively with no room for argument, it's all lies. Everything this government says is a lie. Everything it is, is a lie. The Lord, working through this Pope's one visit, undid over 30 years of lies. The end of this evil atheistic regime began to crumble with the Pope helping to remind the people of their true identity, which unloosened their tongues and voices to the cry of the human heart, we want God. That story came to mind because it's amazing to think how often history repeats itself. In the first reading today, we hear from Nehemiah. It's the only time in our three-year cycle of Sunday Mass readings that we ever hear from this Old Testament book of Scripture. And we hear about this high priest named Ezra speaking in the 5th century before Christ in this open-air setting similar to the Pope's Mass almost 2,500 years later. Ezra's fellow Jews, also similar to the Poles, had a long history of suffering. Well over a millennia, in fact. Ezra's people had lost their land to hostile, evil regimes. But for an important reason. Because they had disobeyed God. They had ignored all of his commands. They had forgotten all the promises of the covenant. As Ezra gets up to basically read the scriptures to the people, we hear that the people are moved to tears. Because it was like scales falling from their eyes. They hadn't even realized how much they had sinned, how far they had moved away, how much they had abandoned the Lord. They suddenly realized it was not, it was their own disobedience that was the root of all their problems. The truth was as clear as day how bleak their lives had become and they, as they had allowed God to be eclipsed from it. And that caused them to weep. They too wanted God. But they feared at this point it was too late. That they'd lost him. And to that, Ezra responds, Today is holy to the Lord your God. Do not be sad and do not weep. Rejoicing in the Lord must be your strength. And those words 
were essential in renewing their hope to keep them to persevere. The reality was so impactful as that day was that it made it into Scripture. And as much as they did rejoice and express that they wanted God, that distance between their behavior and what God had commanded, the prophetic warning them of desolation for abandoning God, resulting in this sad state of affairs, wasn't something that was going to be fixed overnight and wasn't something that they could fix. All they could do was repent of their sins. And all they could do was turn back to him and wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait for his promise to save and redeem them to be fulfilled, which they would for another 400 years. Which brings us to today's gospel. After we've just concluded the beauty of the the Christmas season and the Christmas story about God becoming man, being born with Jesus' birth, the revelations of who he was first with a star appearing in the sky to the wise men from the east leading them to Jesus at Epiphany, to then God the Father's word and voice being heard as Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And then Jesus performing his first sign, the first miracle, the wedding of Cana, where he turns water into 180 gallons of top shelf wine. That's followed with today, this his first sermon. And after proclaiming the words of the prophet Isaiah, Jesus, as the rabbis of his day would have done, sits down in what's considered the seat of Moses and he preaches. How long this sermon went, all the details and particulars of this sermon were all summed up in one sentence. Today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. To all those held captive, to all those blinded, to all those oppressed, to all those longing for liberty and healing and freedom, to all those desperately seeking and waiting, the longings of every human heart crying out, we want God. Jesus announces to them, I am. I am he. I am here, and I'm never leaving you. It strikes me that almost two years into this viral pandemic, with all the sickness and the fear and the uncertainty that have defined these years, and after way too long that we've suffered as a church through awful scandals and stories of evil and depravity and abuse, for God knows how long for us here in the United States who found ourselves fiercely divided and polarized to the point that even our very language and the words we use are sources of division. All these things have left us in a very, very weird place where depression has been normalized, that people think everything's just awful and the best we can do is just try to keep our heads above water and survive where evil has been normalized and accepted with greater and greater regularity. People seem weighed down. Not just those who never darken the doors of our church, but even more distressing for us inside. I see it, I hear it, 
at times I feel it myself. And that's why these scriptures hit me so strongly. God has not abandoned us or forgotten us. Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead to conquer our greatest of fears, death itself, and prove in word and deed that love is far stronger than death. And then he's poured out his Holy Spirit so that we could see his presence and action continuing in our world in our day and age. So that we could be his very presence and perform the very acts that he did. Teaching, healing, expelling demons. But that's only going to happen when like our ancestors in the faith listening to the priest Ezra or our fellow Catholics listening to Pope St. John Paul II many years ago. When we reject the lies of the evil one that continues to sow seeds of fear. When we reject those voices and propaganda that continue to cause people to doubt. When we hear the Lord's promises anew and recognize Jesus' presence among us, reminding us the freedom, the healing, the liberty that we desire is very much within our reach and it can be ours when we find that voice within and we cry out ourselves, we want God.